0: From the beautiful campus of California State University, San Bernardino, and the College of Arts and Letters, thank you for tuning in to the CSUSB Cal podcasts. These podcasts focus on all things in the College of Arts and Letters. From our innovative, creative faculty in their teachings and outside projects, to staff insights, and our students carving their way in these COVID times. another episode in the CSUSB College of Arts and Letters podcast series. I'm Kelly Cluquet, Operations Manager for Coyote Radio and Advertising. It's the Cal podcast series with our guest today, CSUSB alumna. It's Rebecca Waring Crane, and she was in art and design. Welcome, Rebecca.
1: Thank you. It's really good to be with you.
0: Let's get started with where you grew up and what was that like, your hometown,
1: your upbringing? Well, I was a little bit of a gypsy early on, not by choice. Uh, When I was very young, I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. My parents were abroad working. But by the time I was ready for school, they had moved back to the States. So um, I consider my hometown Tacoma Park, Maryland, which is just outside the line on the District of Columbia. So I was really close to all of that amazing history and culture that is the Smithsonian and all those wonderful galleries. In Washington, D.C. It was a, an interesting community. I grew up very church people-y and felt safe and cocooned and you know, connected with that community. And I had the fortunate experience of private education. That was a big deal for my parents. And there's so many things that can go sideways with schooling. And I, had, I have plenty of those stories. But I was exposed through my schooling to music. So I sang in the choir all through grade school and to arts. I had a, an art teacher, Miss Matthewson, I remember her still. And I would play with clay and, and we had art lessons once a week. We'd walk down the hall and go to this big studio with tables. But the message was clear. These were extras, these were nice hobbies, and only exceptional people made their livelihood in the arts. So that was interesting, because I, I was, I still am, a highly sensitive person. And so even those implied messages really shaped my view of things. So yeah, that so hometown, where I grew up, what was it like— all of that comes together with a sense that, yes, here are these wonderful things, and you can go to the galleries downtown and see the museums and sing in the choir yourself and have art lessons, and those are extras. Those those are not serious pursuits.
0: Wow. So from about 3,000 miles away in Maryland,
1: how is it that you came to be at CSUSB? Oh, my gosh. I'll try to compress that because (laughs) my journey is not a straight path. Coming to California was a big move. My partner is an academic. I think he's kind of a sexy academic as a matter of fact, but work brought us here, a job. So he found a tenure track position and that brought us to the Inland Empire. I live in Riverside, but I was, I was still looking for things to do. I I could put my hand to many things, but I hadn't really embraced one path, partly because being flexible was a, a value for me as a woman growing up in this very kind of traditional churchy background that I mentioned earlier. And because of a little perk, a benefit with his teaching position, I could take one class a quarter for free at the institution where he works. And I finished up a degree in English and communication using that special credit. And from there on out, I took art. I finished my master's in English and communication at another institution and transferred those credits. And then I just started exploring. And again, still had a little bit of that tension. This isn't for serious pursuit just enjoy it. It's a free class, you know, enjoy and have fun. But I met excellent artists and I started talking with people who did this. And eventually I had enough credits that my art fairy godmother, that's how I think of her, Beatrice Mejia-Crumbein, she said, you have enough credits for a minor in art. I thought, oh, what else, what else could I do? What else could I take? And highly sensitive person, at one point, the art department at Lossier University, which is where my husband teaches, they commissioned artists to come in and they were painting murals on the exterior walls of the art department. And I stopped to talk to one of the muralists and she's about my vintage and Uh, somehow she told me, yeah, I used to do this other thing. I was a professional sociologist, but then I went back to art school and somehow that conversation just, oh my gosh, Kelly, I was in tears. I was like, oh, I want this too. Now I'm, you know, I'm the tender age of 50 something by the time I'm having this conversation, but I had been resisting and pushing back for so long because the message was clear you know this isn't a serious pursuit this isn't for serious people and I just thought ah. so I found CSUSB because I'm already planted here I have a partner who's got a great job and I just started looking what's close by okay there's there's Claremont Colleges, there's Irvine, there's Fullerton. Oh my gosh, they have an MFA in San Bernardino. So I actually, I emailed several of these institutions and Kathy Gray, the graduate advisor at that time, was the first person to respond to my queries. And eventually other people did too, but that initial contact made such a difference. And we scheduled an on-campus visit and Kathy took me around the department and I was blown. My mind was blown. I had never seen such incredible studio spaces. And it I mean, I basically felt like I was swept off my feet. I wanted more than anything to get into the program. And another thing that took me there, the program didn't require me to have an art degree to apply. There were... Requisites, prerequisites. And I started looking at the classes I had already taken in art. So I still needed an upper division studio class. I still needed a a certain upper division art history. I went through and I looked at the requirements and I spent the next year ticking all of those off, you know, taking them so that I could be ready and also developing a portfolio. I knew I needed a cohesive body of work to present with my application. So from a conversation with Kathy, I believe it was a year later that I made my, you know, I'm an (laughs) over-preparer. I want to be sure that my chances are good. And this is a graduate program that I thought, you know, everybody must be clamoring to get in. And there are only four or five spaces a year. I like that it was small and that it was intimate and I just, I I've tried with every fiber in my being to have a really strong application. So that's the long answer to your very succinct question. A lot of things brought me to CSUSB, finding my, you know, owning my own desire, running into certain people, having conversations and then the amazing facility and the the warmth of the faculty as I became familiar with the program.
0: The art complex there for the Department of Art and Design is amazing. You are correct. The first time I went, I've been at the school two and a half years. uh, And because Coyote Radio and Advertising is under the College of Arts and Letters, I wanted to see all the different departments. And that led Mm -hmm. me over there. Oh my gosh, I was like, People don't know. They absolutely do not know. And it's attached to Rathma too. The museum is incredible. It's nobody knows this jewel. Well, I shouldn't say nobody.
1: You found it. Other people. It is it. a hidden gem. I absolutely agree. It's like it's this incredible secret. And uh, yeah, the MFA program is relatively new. I think it's seven or eight years old. I, I'm still in, I graduated in you know, last year, 2020, and I'm considered relatively a young cohort for the program. But incredible, this department itself has been in existence for a long time, and the investments have been in the offerings, the equipment and the setup. It's just state of the art. Describe
0: the three-year program that you went through and the classes that you took.
1: I knew I needed a three-year program because, as I said, I didn't come in with a degree in art. And it gave me an opportunity to do a lot of things in my evolution as an artist. The first graduate meeting with the cohort, Kathy Gray said, the way I remember it, exploit the program. Graduate school is a gift it's a time that you'll never receive back. You know, it's like nothing else you'll experience. And she was right. And I have enough experience that I, I know what it means to exploit a program. I've been in education myself and been the teacher, been the instructor. And I'm always sad when students just barely do the minimum and just barely show up. I looked at this as if I had 24-hour access, which is a grad student. We do. You're given a key to the grad den, and you can come and work whenever you want. You know, this is outside of COVID. 24-hour access to a smorgasbord of opportunity. I took way more credits than were required for the degree because this was a chance to explore. (laughs) My application, my portfolio with the application, is all painting. I never painted again once I got in there. I had to try everything. I took woodshop, I took introduction to glass. um, I took ceramics. I tried everything that I could take as well as applying myself to the rigor that is involved with being a grad student. I found so many meaningful challenges I found some of it deeply frustrating. I was reduced to tears a few times just because I had, uh, I didn't understand certain things like the whole critique process and what, what's happening in those. But some of my professors, just the generosity, again, class size is fantastic. And I could take classes with undergrads, but I would take them as an independent study and have them count as an upper division class. So I'm fearless, you know, I'm 50 something and I'm in there with 18 and 20 year olds and I'm having a blast, an incredible experience and I was methodical. I invited each member of the faculty for a studio visit so that I could get to know them and then also have an idea of who I would invite to be on my committee when it was time for that to happen. Everyone was Interested, willing, available. Everyone was so generous with their time. I had, uh, I just, I loved every minute of my experience. And it starts at the top with Doctor. Oh, I got to work for Matthew. I was a student worker for him, and I went in repeatedly and said, "Do you have a job I can do? Do you have?" Because I had to take student loans, and he fin- he said, "You know, Rebecca." his lovely accent I he talked about art on campus and I I was his student assistant for art on campus for two years wonderful opportunity that meant I met with him personally almost on a weekly basis for that project but he was curious and interested and available to talk about the rest of my work he actually was one of my committee members as well
0: We want to talk about now your project, Who is My Neighbor? Uh, In social practice art, there's another name for it. Um, I think you'll Mm -hmm. explain more. So describe and
1: explain this project for our listeners. Okay. Who is My Neighbor came about, as many of my projects do, as accident and observation. (laughs) It's, it falls under the, the umbrella of socially engaged art or socially engaged practice. And these are trickier to nail down. And it really wasn't until I was in grad school that I was introduced to this particular type of art. So it's about broadly construed social activism. And it can have many renderings. It's not always easily documented unless the artist says, I'm going to document the process. For me, it means interviewing and having conversations with my neighbors. I actually record them on my phone and I go through the very non-sexy, very tedious process of transcribing those so that I can then write brief essays and share what I'm learning. But socially engaged art, big names, artists who do this, I way, wait. Not always, but sometimes. The, um, oh, I wish I remembered the name of the project. He was aware that certain art forms or crafts were dying out in China, his homeland. And he went to a village known for their incredible work with porcelain. And he hired people who are now out of work because machines are doing the work. And they handmade life-size sunflower seeds, and he had them make thousands of them and they're hand painted with these little stripes. They look real and pile them up in a room. He ended up with an exhibition and installation, but the socially engaged part is he employed a village of people for a certain part of time. Now it ended as most practices do, but this was to raise awareness that there's still the skill base there my project will not have a room full of porcelain sunflower seeds i'm still figuring out how it will become manifest right now as i said it's short stories it's essays that i write and i publish on my blog and i share as soon as i've written one i make sure that the neighbor who shared their story gets the link because you know i have like 55 subscribers and and 18 of them will open the email that I send out. So (laughs) my community is small, but here's how it began. I had sciatica and it knocked me off my feet, literally. So instead of doing my usual daily quick walk, when I finally could totter around, I walked very carefully up my block and down again. I live on a dead end street. Eight houses on one side, eight houses on the other. And my neighbors apparently were paying attention. They're nosy in that lovely way that makes you come out of your house and say to the woman who usually walks by quickly, what happened? Are you okay? They had seen me. Oh, sciatica, I told them. And oh, the reply back, the the recognition, the appreciation. Oh, yes, that's just terrible. And another woman was just relieved. She said, oh, I was afraid you'd had a stroke. There was just this outpouring of interest and concern, this curious kindness. I thought, well, everybody, things are different with COVID. And I'm deeply distressed by the polarization that is happening everywhere nationally. And while I don't see myself as an activist per se, even though I've gone to ritual, um, excuse me, I've gone to um, vigils, I've shown up at marches, I decided that my art would be a way to say, things can be different. I've lived on my street for 12 years. And I know a few of my neighbors by name and I can say hello. But now that I'm, my kids are grown, my degree is complete, I'm not off to campus and off to the studio, I'm home. I thought, wow, they have that kindness and curiosity towards me. What if I turn it back? What if I reflect it to them? And so, Kelly, what I did was so basic. I'm an introvert by nature. I am very happy to spend hours in my studio by myself. But I decided I'm already slowing down. Sciatica really turned back my speed way down. Why not be brave with my life? and talk to my neighbors just explain my project that I my project is called who is my neighbor and would you like to take part may I have your number let's put it you know here's mine I'll text you mine and I put their name in and I put under them their company neighbor (laughs) and then I text them thank you and could we set up an interview what's a good time And we meet outside, we're socially distanced, Um, and I have two prompts. Tell me the story about moving into your house. Tell me the story about life in your house in 2020. Those are my prompts. And people can tell me as little or as much as they want, and they do. I don't live
0: in your neighborhood, and now I want to tell you everything about mine. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and the thing is, you mentioned, right? you know, difference in COVID is I walk my dog every day, and I knew for years people's dogs' names never stopped to ask their name, and now I know their names. This is wonderful. So there you many, go. Where it started out, where is it now? What's the latest? And most importantly for listeners,
1: where do they go? Oh, so I, I published these... When I get them, you know, like I said, the non-sexy part of transcription is tedious. About twice a month, I'm able to post on my website, RebeccaWaringCrane.com. That's where they are. And they're under the tab Daybook, where I put blog entries. They're more than welcome to look around. I have a gallery. There's all of my installation and sculptural work. And this project might inspire something like that but so far it's about being present and listening yeah the past is something in a file put it back in the past
0: future we don't know but today in the present so i love that where would you like to be in 10 years with your art maybe with this project if you can see it going another 10 years
1: you know, I am open to so much surprise. The career guidance question, you know, where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? I would sidestep it because as an artist, I deal with mystery. I deal with the unknown at the same time as I deal with what's right in front of me and being as present and as observant As I possibly can. So, in 10 years, I hope I'm a little more eccentric and talking to more strangers and still really invested in using art as a way to pilot people towards their own sense of connection, their own sense of freedom, and, you know, if this isn't too woo-woo crystal-y, to their own sense of being seen, being heard, because I think that's where we find so much healing. Our wellness springs from our sense of knowing that who we are is received and, and celebrated. So in 10 years, I hope I'm doing more than that. On our Cal podcast series,
0: we have been enthralled by listening to and talking with Rebecca Waring Crane, alumni of CSUSB MFA Studio Art. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed today's CSUSB Cal podcast. Look for other episodes from the College of Arts and Letters on the campus of California State University, San Bernardino.